Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I am joined by my friend Pat Corain, who was on the show a couple weeks ago. Then we were talking a little bit more about life, some high-level things. We are going to be going into the micro here. This is, of course, our 2023 episode on what we learned about fantasy football from the prior season, how we're going to apply those lessons in 2024, both uh, in in best ball and in high-stakes formats, trying to win the most amount of money possible playing fantasy football. Make sure that you guys are subscribed to Pat's site, Legendary Upside. You can find that with a quick Google that's also linked in the description of this show. If you want to support this show, you can subscribe to patreon.com slash takecast. The link to that is also in the description of the show. Or if you want to support the show, you can just tell someone about the show. That's always very useful, very helpful. Or you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, guys. Welcoming Pat Corrine back on the program. Uh, the last time he was here, much more serious and introspective conversation about life. Uh, none of that here today. We are back to our bread and butter. We're going to talk some fantasy football because the 2023 fantasy football season just wrapped up. The main event has been won. The champion of the DraftKings Millionaire Maker and uh, Best Ball Mania 4 have been crowned. And so I wanted to take this opportunity to, one, say some things maybe we have learned, Pat, but then also dispel, I think, some of the false things that people are immediately taking away from winning rosters in in 2023 because i think there are you know every year we get some new data points and there are definitely some red herrings out there as well for sure so the first one and i think that this really can't be overstated there is not going to be a kyron williams or a puka nakua next season i would wager my entire bankroll on there maybe never being a puka nakua again um, we we saw like the archetype of Nakua actually in Amon Ross St. Brown at the end of his rookie year, you know, uh, a day three pick who, you know, is kind of like a possession based wide receiver runs hot on touchdowns and it's just like unbelievable. Now there will be versions of Kyron Williams again, but I think that the immediate response that people have is that they're going to be overconfident in their ability to project who next year's version of that is going to be. And what I mean by that is, obviously, if you had known Kyron Williams and Puka Nakua would have had these roles, you would have just taken them in every single draft that you did. And you you probably would have won Best Ball Mania 4 if you just drafted by ADP and then round 17 and round 18, you just take... Nakua and Kyron every single time, right? You, you probably hit the nuts uh, in, in that way. But I don't know how instructive that is for actually drafting next season. Yeah, I mean, I think my takeaway from, and this is something I wrote about before the season, I feel like I was kind of happy with my process on. So maybe it's confirmation bias, but I, I think that attack really attacking these depth charts in the very end of drafts, like, you know, late August, um, early September, kind of the end of draft season, attacking the number two running backs when we have confidence of who that is, especially if that player wasn't drafted early on. Like Kyron was, I believe, 7% owned in the Best Ball Mania final. But if you if you uh, looked at hit the percentage of Kyron rosters that made the final, he would have been like as chalky as CeeDee Lamb. It's just that he wasn't drafted in 
the vast majority of leagues. leagues. Yeah. Yeah. CD was 100% drafted and Kyron was like 30% or something. So uh, it's like, I, I do think that's one of the advantages in, in best ball mania, specifically, you know, this contest that has a huge window in which it's being drafted um, that you can actually draft a player who will become like one of the very best picks in fantasy. And then also, massive leverage on the field when you get into the single elimination weeks and in the final itself uh that kind of opportunity isn't really available like in a lot of other spots like so i i think you know you're we're not going to hit kyron again in the way that kyron hit but we will have ty chandlers and you know guys who come on late and have really big weeks even if it's only like ty chandler had one good week in the in the um in the finals or sorry, in the playoffs, it was week 15, but that's still huge. Like it potentially got, like it got the team that I got through the finals had Ty Chandler and and it was, he was a big piece of, of me advancing through round 15. So hitting on those types of guys, even if it's not going to be the massive grand slam that Kyron was, I think still is important. On the other hand, I think if we're just kind of like, just drafting these late round running backs in May and June, hoping to hit the next Kyron, you probably are burning draft picks. They're actually pretty important, you know, like getting production out of your last round picks is pretty huge. Um, I I'm still going to be looking to some extent for the Darius Slaytons of the world, hoping they catch that long touchdown, you know, in the final weeks. Um, although, I think there's also value in trying to find that Puka Amon-Ra type guy because, yeah, you probably don't hit a Puka, but maybe you hit a Tank Dell and he stays healthy, you know? So I think there's – I also wonder, like, the fact that we had an Amon-Ra and then two years later got a Puka does make me feel like these late-round rookie wide receivers are uh, – it's fertile ground, even if we're not going to get the grand slam we got from Puka again. I think it ends up being fertile ground when the team that they are drafted by is better in a better offensive environment than anticipated. Right. So that definitely happened with St. Brown. Like no one really thought the lions were going to be a functional offensive team that year. That was, uh, you know, that was, it's crazy to think about now, but three years ago, Dan Campbell and the Detroit lions were like a legit laughing stock. You know, they traded away Stafford. He wins the super bowl. They are losers. And yeah, I mean, literally, actually, funnily enough that they're so linked, the, the Rams and the Lions, they might play each other in the playoffs this week, but the same deal for the Rams, right? Stafford left for dead. I believe Akers and Cup were their only players going in the top 100 picks. Cup is injured. Who, by the way, I mean, you want to talk about alternate uh, timelines and, and history. It's like, what if Cooper Cup never develops this hamstring problem? What happens to Nakua's season then? You know, I, I think mean, he still crushes. I think he's really good. I think he I think he I think he's very good, but I do think it is I don't think he sets the rookie receiving yardage record. I, I would I would guess he yeah. probably he yeah. probably does not. But like kind of who cares? Because so much sure. of the value is just like getting the guy to crush in the final weeks. So um like if you didn't if you got a little less production out of Puka in like the first three weeks of the season, first five weeks of the season. Or, or what if uh, what if Cam Akers wasn't a dick that people actually wanted <laughs> to be around? I mean, that's a pretty good sliding glass door because it seems like the deal with Akers was just that McVeigh did not like him. That was always the vibe. The vibe I got was that McVeigh's just like this guy sucks. 
Well, it seems like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, just from the outside, it seems like anytime his playing time was, you know, curtailed, he did not take it well. He just complained. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he asked for a trade in 2022, you know, so. They they almost, think, they almost cut him last year. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And then he was like a sixth round pick in baseball. <laughs> We 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 always like patting ourselves on the back for how how much better fantasy we've gotten as a community, but that, we still have some work to do. I think for like three days, I thought Cam Akers might be twenty twenty three Josh Jacobs until I realized how dumb that was. But like for a little <laughs> bit, I thought it, and then I was like, oh, that's that's really wrong. Um, yeah, I do I, I do on the rookie wide receiver thing. Yeah, I you know from a dynasty perspective, I've I've been one to be you know, always kind of downplaying opportunity at the wide receiver position, right? Like the, and and in a lot of ways, it will lead you astray in, in a big way if you, if you worry too much about, you know, who's going to actually be able to get on the field and, and get targets right out of the gate. Cause so much, it matters so much about the talent level, you know, like I think we were worried about Garrett Wilson's targets, Right when when he came in, because it's like, oh, Elijah Moore's there, and they don't throw a ton. It's like none of this matters if the guy's a star; he's a star. However, I do think for best ball specifically, like when we look at the last rounds, opportunity for rookie wide receivers may be something we want to pay more attention to because that, to me, is the thing that links Puka and Amon Ra and Tank Dell, and even like hits that like wouldn't have been hit or sorry bust that wouldn't have been bust if the guy was any good at all like jonathan mingo right like jonathan sure. mingo if mingo if if mingo was good he could have had a he could have had a strong year like a really strong year yeah and like i mean they tried they tried and he just like isn't it but that's i mean when you get into the kind of 12th round later you know those the guys who you who can like project Especially, you know, even if you have to say, like, I'm only looking at, like, the last six, seven weeks of the season, you know? Yeah. Who's going to be able to get on the field and, uh, you know, can can get routes and and has enough draft capital behind them and has, like, enough of an interesting profile where we can we can imagine them being pretty good? Um, those, those depth charts where you can actually emerge – it's like a, it's a way of thinking about it that I don't, that I'm not used to from, from kind of my dynasty lens, but I think pretty clearly has some value. Like, you know, tank Dell would be probably the more realistic version of this, but like, well, and what, what do all these guys we have in common talk about St. Brown, uh, St. Brown, Dell and Nakua was that there was all something in their college profiles that yeah. was interesting. Right. Yeah. So tank Dell was like giga productive. Four-year player, small school, small frame, yada yada. But like he was, he I, I think he got forty percent. I think he had a forty percent dominator rating his final year in college. Nakua couldn't play that much. I think we, by the way, kind of saw in the NFL why that was, which is that he is very reckless with his body. He just is always taking. Like there were, uh, what is McVeigh's quote? He said I, I, he took a shot to his chest, and McVeigh thought he was dead. Is what <laughs> is what McVeigh said. So I think maybe there was a reason, and and also um, we talked about this a lot in the off season shows, and we are going to be talking about it more uh, this upcoming dynasty season. The COVID stuff really yeah. just you gotta have to kind of everything that we thought we knew 
is a little bit different, especially for guys who played in the Pac-12. It it like literally ruined like an entire sampling of guys. I mean, Pukunakua's team played four games, period, his junior year or sophomore year um, of college. So it's like, what do you even want him to do with that? Like right. it just ruined developmental curves for these guys. And then St. Brown was- And, like, and the information that we have. Like I yeah. know David Kitchen's having the, the week of a lifetime, but like we- we just don't know. We, we just truly don't know. just don't know about these college prospects who didn't get to play. Yeah, that's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a very good point. And uh, I mean, look, there's going to be a lot of argument. I I think I predict uh, Michael Penix Jr. ends up being the most argued about guy um, this off season. May may I haven't dug enough into the wide receivers yet to know who people are going to argue about. I, I'm thinking uh, the uh, the second LSU wide receiver Thomas. Mike Thomas, maybe I don't know. I think I think people might be arguing about him quite a bit because he had to play with Malik Neighbors, so we might be doing a Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, but is he Terrace Marshall thing again mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. with LSU? We'll we'll see what ends up happening there, but I'm I'm pretty pretty excited about that. But yeah, my my takeaway is I think that our general thought, which was early on makes a lot of sense to be taking third quarterbacks that you know are going to be drawing starts right. uh you know in in May and June. I still think that's good. I think Baker Mayfield season is a great evidence of that. Um I think that Sam Howell, I know he ended up getting benched in the end, but he was a really yeah, I'm, I'm kind of still out on this general like I if you can find guys who you feel really good about their job security, sure. But those I think are also probably rookies. Like we want to be drafting well, the next CJ Stroud. How about, how about yeah. CJ Stroud? Yeah. Yeah. If you have a bunch of draft capital behind you and you're a rookie, you know, it, a rookie quarterback who's the second overall pick is very likely to be starting in week 15, 16, and 17. Yes. You know, and and probably well before that. But that really helps you to not have that guy, I think does hurt you. Howell is an interesting test case where like he did enough in the regular season as a late round pick where maybe you're like I feel like everyone just sort of like thinks what they thought no no the season I, on I thought Hal was a shitty pick I did not take very much of him I was much more on your side than on Sean's side on on that one I think what can't be just dis- this is actually I think maybe the greatest macro lesson which is that any play that significantly alters your advance rate the composition of your roster your your points expectation got to be graded as a win like, because so many picks that you make are just going to be mm-hmm. shitty, bad picks. Yeah, okay, but but not having, I think there's a, yeah, the Howell one's interesting because, like, yes, and, you know, like, I had Sean Tucker on, on my team that got through this year, and, like, obviously Sean Tucker both added zero points and, like, ultimately probably didn't hurt me that much, but, like... Uh, that, so that's the other thing is that, the 15, 16, 17, 18, I mean, you can eat zeros from them and advanced teams like no problem. So getting points added to your roster from those is big. And I I mean, hard to tell if this is a meta switch or whatever, but the quarterback injuries are why Howell ended up being yeah. a winning pick. Yeah. But at the same time, like you can eat like a zero from your 16th round pick. That's not a problem. But like at the same time, getting good scores from your last round picks is massive. It, so it's, a, it's a cheat code. Yeah, it's a cheat code. So you're giving up like one of your dart throws for that cheat code. 
when you get when you you know have a guy who got benched. So how's kind of interesting where like he he probably ultimately was a good pick this year because he did enough in the regular season to really help your advance rates. And then as long as you like did well with your other late round picks, you're probably pretty happy like to get this guy helped me advance and the other guys maybe showed up at the end for some spike weeks. But when I think about like my approach for next year, I still want to be really focused on not burning roster spots, you know, for those playoff weeks in the, in the final picks. Like if how, if I knew I had Howell again, specifically, I probably would be more open to taking him, but like, I'm glad I was fading Desmond Ritter. You know, I'm glad I was fading these other, I wish I faded Mac Jones more. You know, I, was, yeah, oh God. I wasn't, oh. I wasn't thinking about his job security. I, I need to go, I need to go scrub some takes that you and I had about, about the Patriots offense, maybe being a cheat code this year. Yeah. Like they finally have a real offensive coordinator and that changing everything. Um, yep. So this is actually related. And I tell myself this every year, I did a better job of it this year. Um, I sadly did it with two guys who ended up three guys who ended up not mattering. Michael Wilson, Tutu Atwell and Wandale Robinson. Although Wandale, did get 19 points in week 17, yeah. grading that, grading that as a I think Wanda was a good pick. Yeah, it's just like his absolute ceiling on underdog, probably better on DraftKings where you could get him in round 20 and it's PPR. His absolute ceiling on underdog is like, he just is never going to be a top five scoring wide receiver in a week, probably, unless he scores twice. Yeah, probably. But I mean, he was like kind of, you know, I guess Slayton... I mean, was he was legitimately, good, he but... was, yeah. Um, but the, the, the mistake I mean, I'm had, thinking of. Tommy Cutlets throwing the ball, you know, like for, for a sure. lot of these weeks, and he's still okay, you know. Um, it is, and I, I have been very bad at this, which is not drafting guys I really like as they get more expensive. The two examples of this for myself from 2023 are Brock Purdy and Jake Ferguson, who, Probably by the end of June, I mean, I probably had 30% of each of those guys, maybe 25%. Purdy was my most drafted quarterback for a huge chunk of it. And then after Trey Lance got traded, I want to say Purdy, what did he get it to? Like the quarterback 15, maybe 16, something right around there. Yeah, maybe it was only in the 12th round or so. Yeah, but I was just like, oh, well, I've got my fill, you know. And I think the key problem there, and this is actually true for managed as well, um, it, it works in it works in any format, which is that late risers, and Gretsch has made this point, there's a great ceiling signals on this. You have yeah, to go back and find yeah. it. It's from a couple of years ago. Late risers generally do not rise enough. They gen- right. Generally, there's just a cutoff point where the market says, this is the new equilibrium. Um, yeah. So I, I, that is, that is something I'm going to try to improve on next year. I think thinking through these late round picks, like, like their auction, you know, like we're uh, using auction values to kind of think through the late round picks, like an 18th round pick is a dollar. A 17th round pick is also a dollar. A 16th round pick is also a (laughs) dollar. A 15th round pick is probably like two dollars. No, it's still probably a dollar. It's still probably a dollar. Yeah. If you if you think about it, like think about like what Alan Lazard went for in your auction league, right? Right. He probably went for a buck. He was an 11th round pick the entirety of the offseason. That's a great point. Yeah. So like Brock Purdy's rise from the 18th round to the 12th round is like 
the difference between like one and three dollars in an auction or something. It doesn't really matter. If he was to go from the 12th round to the third round, which, and you know, let's say he was a, you know, we're now we're talking about a running back who, um, you know, if Najee had missed the season and Jalen Warren jumped from the 12th to the fifth round or something, that's a meaningful rise where you'd at least want to think about, okay, people have 12th round Warren. Does that mean, you know, this is Daryl right. Henderson from a few years ago, right? Like Daryl Henderson, he went into the fourth or fifth round. Do I want to be drafting Daryl Henderson? How many teams are I going to be going up against that have really cheap Daryl Henderson? Is he even a good pick at this point? You know, the answer was turned out to be no, um, you know, at a fourth or fifth round cost. So that that I do think you want to be at least thinking through. It could be the case where you're like, no, I think this guy has enough upside or whatever. I'm going to take him. But when guys rise from the 18th to the 12th round, on when I, I would say as long as there's like a meaningful you know, reason to, for us to feel better about their value. If it's all just a hype train, then that, that could be bad. But, but Purdy, I mean, Purdy went from, he might miss like a big part of the early season and who knows if he's even the starter, you know, blah, 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 to he's 100% the starter and going to play right away. So he should have risen in cost like more. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, obviously, it's like very easy to say with the hindsight of the results, but like I don't, you know, what's funny is I literally think like Sam Darnold fears were playing into Purdy not being like a ninth round pick or whatever, you know. And it's just it's so funny, and you can do this with every season, but you can go back and look at some ADPs and just be like, what, what collective psychosis made Deshaun <laughs> Watson the quarterback eight? You know, uh, like what, what, I what know. was the? I took, what was I took the, some Watson. But like, what? It's just kind, uh. and it's kind of like. I guess you just it it becomes sort of like rote memorization, you know. I'm actually seeing this right now with playoff drafts. I, I just told you beforehand that I I literally maxed the the mitten yesterday, and I went back and looked, and I just was kind of combing through my exposures. And like, we don't need to get into the specifics of this, but like, I have zero Amon Ross St. Brown because I think the Lions are like drawing dead to win the NFC. Right. Yeah, right. I just like the Eagles, the Cowboys, the 49ers um, are just so much better than them. And it's like, that's kind of the easy part of fantasy football, I think, is the fades. So like, oh yeah, I just never take Najee Harris. Um, I just never take uh, any jet, whatever. Just like whatever your stance is. Because it's, it's, it's so funny that in fantasy football, like 10 guys matter. Like 10 guys matter for the entire season. Yeah. And then there's just a bunch of guys who score between, you know, 13 and 16 fantasy. I mean, it's the whole premise of legendary upside running backs, right? And it's why we prefer wide receivers to these guys, uh, to Bijan Robinson or or um, whomever. So, so a lot of, I mean, even what we're talking about right now is very much retrofitting, like applying a narrative to just a random distribution of numbers. So it's like kind of a hard exercise. Yeah, I mean, I do think there's there's something that is almost impossible like the way you have to, in order to draft all the teams that we draft and and be excited and enjoy fantasy football in the summer, there's this inherent optimism to the exercise where if you actually showed me the real results from the 2023 season in like July of 2023, like I would be the Team America like vomiting guy. Like I couldn't handle it, you know, like all here's all the quarterbacks that are going to get hurt. Right. Here's here's yeah. Rashad Bateman's full season line. Here's oh, what Traylon Burks is going to do. 
you know, how many times did we say Bateman and Burks last of a tier wide receiver, big, yeah. big tier drop off after <laughs> Bateman and Burks. Yeah. I mean, there'd be a few things, you know, you're psyched about, but there's generally just like the, the amount of things that you're, that are going to be huge, huge bummers is like, we'll never be able to truly believe it until it happens because if you really believed it, you like probably wouldn't, you just like go do something else. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's not fun. You know, it's ultimately, you know, it's, it's going to be kind of more of a bummer than not to see all these quarterbacks get hurt and all these guys that we're excited about bust. And then there's going to be a bunch of exciting stuff that happens too. But a lot of that excitement is condensed to just a few players, you know, and it's kind of like, did you draft this guy? Did you draft this guy? I talk about this in the summer and it, I always feel like, I'm trying to convince myself of it, you know, because at that point I've like, I've wiped my mind of, of the pain of an actual NFL season. And I'm, I've, I'm optimistic again, but I mean, it's, it's just, it's such an important part of fantasy of like, there's going to be like a couple guys in the fourth round and it's going to be, did you draft those dudes? And like, yep. it's not even going to be consistent for the year. Like for most of the year, it's going to be, did you oh, draft no. Travis ETN? And then it's going to flip. And you're gonna be like, actually, it's did you draft Brees Hall or did you draft DJ Moore or did you, you know? And it's like it's based on not even it's it's like for six weeks you think it's the one thing, and then it turns out to be a, another thing entirely. Yeah, did you draft enough Adam Thielen? Turns out you drafted the appropriate amount of Adam Thielen, and <laughs> in, in the yeah. end, you know. Yes. Uh, okay. Do you, I? I have another. I have another lesson. Unless you have one that you uh that you want to interject with. No, go ahead. Do not draft cuck wide receiver twos on teams with just like a clear alpha alongside them at an exorbitant cost. Obviously, the two guys this season would be T. Higgins and Jalen Waddle. Now, of course, you can go through the argument. Jalen Waddle ran bad. He kept getting hurt. Yada yada. T. Higgins, he got hurt. Burrow got hurt. Then Chase got hurt. Then T was fine when Chase was out. I just I think you and you are just paying. The twelfth highest scoring fantasy wide receiver is going to be T. Higgins. That's that's what we're that's what we're telling ourselves. I just I think there is so much value in punting those decisions further along the the road. Like I think great examples of this: Keenan Allen, Amari Cooper, Mike Evans, just guys who were like so clearly going to dominate and and had right. I think that's maybe the weird thing is we psyop ourselves into being like, well, if things break a certain way for T. Higgins. He's going to score a bazillion points. And Jalen Waddle, Jalen Waddle has had the eighth most fantasy points in the NFL since he got drafted at wide receiver. So like he's a pretty good pick at wide receiver, eleven or whatever. And then you're like, I don't know, maybe the guy who's had a thousand yards every season of his career <laughs> for a billion years might Didn't do it be a again. seventh round pick. <laughs> every year, he's never every not year. done it. Every year, and we're just we like, nah, that less. guy. That guy should definitely go after Deontay Johnson. You know, we should definitely be taking that guy after, you know, and it's just like, I I think that I need to like write this on a post-it note on my desk or something. Cause I I guarantee you, by the way, you know, we're going to be doing this next season. And, you know, I don't know, maybe the Saints signed some great wide receiver and he's playing with Alave or 
just like whatever it might be. There's going to be some situation and I'm going to be enamored with some 24 year old wide receiver with a great yards per target playing alongside. It's Jordan Addison, right? You're talking about Jordan Addison. Oh, Jordan, Jordan Addison is a, as a third round pick next year. I mean, just do not sign me up for that. Sign me out of that, but I know I'm going to end up clicking it anyways. Cause he's a young wide receiver. You know, it's like, it's like inevitable. I can see it happening, but I can't stop it. Yeah. I don't, I'm not fully on board with this because like, T Higgins didn't even have Joe Burrow at quarterback and Jamar Chase missed, you know, some, some time. And he had in half PPR, he had 20.1 points in week 15 and 22 and a half in week 16. And then he dudded in week 17. But like, I mean, that was the whole idea. It's that he could, this guy has really strong spike week potential. Um, even, you know, with Jamar Chase there, because if Jamar Chase were to, you know, miss a game, he he can go off, and that was without Burrow. He he showed that that was still the case. I think, I mean, we want to definitely be like thinking through. Okay, this guy has to be an awesome talent for me to want to take the number two on on a team. Um, but it is more of like a a playoff best ball type of thing. You know, a, a sorry, I don't mean playoff best ball. I mean tournaments with playoff weeks, um, like best ball mania. Those types of guys, I think, are still pretty valuable, especially when you look at like round two and round three. Like, it's not a particularly strong group of players. So, to get, I, I wonder, by the way, if that's going to be different next year. I wonder if there's going to be, because if you just go through and look at like the top 36 players this year, I mean, how many of the top 36 busted? Like, more than half. Like, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, I think there are going to be two things. One, I think we are going to see the highest a rookie wide receiver has ever been drafted. So that's going to introduce a new guy to the mix, Marvin Harrison Jr. Two, Laporta is going to be the only tight end that goes in the first three rounds. Tight ends are going to fall dramatically, like dramatically. And I think I actually, uh, you know, cross my heart, hope to die. I think we're going to see running backs get pushed back up this year. I think that there's going to be less of, we just got to draft these 22-year-old wide receivers because... You just don't know. Like, I think there's going to be a little bit less of like guys like Alave and Waddle specifically. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Olave, the Olave archetype could definitely fall. Um, I do. It's tough. Like who are the running backs that are going to get drafted super high? Because like, I'm not. Byron and A-Chain are going to be the big risers. They'll be big risers, but like Jacobs should fall. Pollard will fall. Henry will fall. Uh, you know, Camaro probably would have gone there, but but he won't. I mean, what if the Cowboy the Cowboys are gonna draft a running back in the third round, though? And then that guy's gonna be a second round pick. It's a pretty weak running back class, though, right? Yeah, it's really weak, but uh like Travion Henderson from Ohio State is gonna be a day two pick, and uh he didn't play in the Big 12, so it's gonna be hard for Jerry to click his name, but but definitely possible. Um yeah, I mean they're they 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 have no they have no uh, alternative to doing that though because their Pollard is gone like completely gone. Yeah, he's he, yeah, completely. Uh, okay, Brees will be a big riser. Rashad White will be a big riser. Gibbs is going to be a first round pick. James yeah, Cook is sure. going to be a riser. Um, yeah. Pacheco will be a big riser. Yeah. Swift uh, remains to be seen. We'll see what happens in the playoffs for him. But Pacheco doesn't Pacheco feels like kind of a dead zone back, like fourth round. You're not taking second round Pacheco. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, that that definitely is true. Um, I'm trying to see who else here 
really, I guess I don't know. I mean, Kyron, so also, yeah, Kyron will be a first round pick probably. Like and one Kyron will probably be a bad first round pick too. Yeah, by the no, way, seriously. just while we're here. Yeah. Kind of like the ultimate. Um, he's like the final evolution of like the Alfred Morris style pick, where it's just like it all the stars aligned for him completely in one year to get all the work, and then fantasy managers spend like the rest of the his career chasing <laughs> the ghost. You know. Yeah, I know. Philip Lindsay's the kind of the ultimate, like you know, just kind of flash in the pan version of it. But I think I think McVay's so much more committed to Kyron. That's the part of it that is going to make it more challenging to figure out what what to do because McVay loves Kyron Williams. Like I think that's pretty clear. Sure. Uh, and McVay likes using one running back. He like loves it. Yeah. He loves it. So it's probably more of like, you know, health. You know, it's tough to it's tough to handle that many carries, and he's not a particularly explosive player. Like Kyron's not going to get there. No. On you know limited touch. It's the whole the whole way he does it is he it's like josh jacobs from two years ago like he's he handles all of it you know it never leaves the field and he's good you know and if you're good and you get all the touches that's like that's a first round fantasy pick but it's i it's tough when you're like that's the only way like they're only like he's not a, a huge receive he has a receiving role but he's not like a McCaffrey at all he's not you, a you know who's gonna be a terrible pick that I'm gonna sigh out myself into a chain I mean a chain is a chain is just Kenyon Drake Tony Pollard you know I mean he is you know uh, yeah but we're don't say that because we're gonna have huge backs well I mean I I am comfortable enough <laughs> with who I am that I'm comfortable <laughs> making that decision for myself, you know, like knowing I'm going to have like 19% Devin a chain where 19% come on, you got to get at least on where 20. he goes. If I can get him at the four or five turn, then no, sure. No. But if he, he's a classic in the sort of a classic two, three turn, he's, he's your classic. He goes where Pollard was going this year, like the 18th pick. Yeah. 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 I mean, obviously if they, if they don't resign Mostert, and only draft a day three running back, you know, then all bets are off. In, in that case, I think he could be like an early second round pick. Not a good one. <laughs> just, I, you know, it's just not. That, that profile I think, I, I think guy, I'm in. I think, I think I'm, I'm in too. But the it's single like, week ceiling on him is like so unbelievably huge. Uh, Yes. Um, are you, when you're drafting, are you making real distinctions on that in like FFPC versus these best ball contests? I don't know that I have in, in a huge way, but I think we should be. My, my observations, um, on that would be, I had the best team I'd ever had in FFPC main event this year. We, we got up to third actually at the, at the highest stage, which is very cool, but I did. We had a huge overlap on our team, which I thought was very interesting because it was all league winner style guys, right? So it was like Kyron Williams, uh, Tyreek Hill, Devin A. Chain, Brees Hall, Sam Laporta, like all these guys who absolutely smashed their mm. ADP and were just going to be on teams that scored way above expectation. Like this team that we got up to third actually was a Mark Andrews and the second team we lost Mark Andrews. And, you know, it just, it didn't matter because we had Laporta. Um, and I, I don't know the way around that for main event stuff, but I did like 
at one point, like I was just clicking through teams also in the top 10 and we were duped to like half of our starting lineup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, but I think I, I really like the single week elimination. Then you start fresh the next week to me. That's like kind of the, I mean, obviously giving, giving out huge prizes up top uh, would probably be the main innovation of, of best ball mania. But, uh, but I think that that style is such a better sweat changing it from the sprint. I don't like the sprint. It's boring. Like you, you have like, it just, I, I, I'm sorry. That's just the way I feel. Well, like I got to give, I got to give a shout out to the sprint because the dynasty best ball auction league that we talk about on this show all the time, you won. I won it. I won Congrats, it. man. Congrats. The most happy I've ever been to win a fantasy football championship. I won it because in week 16, Amari Cooper and George Pickens combined for 110 PPR points. Ooh. And those point, the sprint helped me out. The Obviously, sprint, yeah. Those those Amari Cooper, George Pickens teams in Best Ball Mania Four, they were fucked. You couldn't win because Cooper Cooper didn't play and Pickens in, in half PPR got like what, like 14 and a half, 15 and a half, something like that. So, you know, no, no help. And that is that is kind of the I guess that would be the inverse of drafting for low advance rate, high ceiling, which is that the ceiling came in the wrong week. You know, you needed it a week later. Yeah. But I mean, at the, at the same time, like the uh, the winning best ball mania roster this year did have Amari Cooper. Yeah. So he still was huge in, in, you know, getting that team to the final. He didn't do anything in the final, but it still provided a massive advantage to have him. It just, you know, it's not like you either have Cooper and have a shot to win or you don't. And you and you're dead to win, and you know that for like two weeks. It stinks to go into the final week being like, it's only Amari Cooper teams that even have a shot, you know. Whereas in Best Ball Mania, like there were a lot of Amari Cooper teams in the final, um, you know, and, and any of these guys, right, that had big week 15 or 16, like, yes, it helps you get there, and yes, you know, in Cooper's case, he literally didn't play, so he's not a, a good example of that. But like, you know, Brees Hall had a big week uh, 16 was nice to have him week 17 he had another good week but like you didn't need him you know the the winning team didn't have him so i i i like that better i like everyone goes in clean for the final week starting at zero and then you actually like sweat out that one week i just think it's way more fun it is i mean i guess uh your perspective on that is going to vary based on how much money has been entered into your <laughs> bank account via yeah why pat? does pat like this better it's weird <laughs> no i i think that i just think that ultimately best ball is a very different game than it is played right i think that i think that this sort of focus on it 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 cannot be overstated Week 17 is all that matters. However you get there is totally up to you. You know, take your own, take your own adventure, build however, like, uh, you know, but having the highest possible scores in a way that your opponents cannot duplicate in week 17 is quite literally the name of the game. And I don't know if it's always played that way. I, there's like resistance to that idea still. Yeah. It's crazy. It's actually resistance. crazy. There's like, oh, like week 17 is all that matters is like is overstated or overblown. Like it's 
very much understated in terms of the fields, uh, kind of how much that has sunk into the way the game's being played. Like, I still think all of the edges that we need to like be, you know, thinking about next year are basically related to how do we get that slight little sliver of extra juice in getting to the final and then winning the final. And it's not about advance rate. And I'm not saying sacrifice your advance rates, you know, but like advance rate is just, it's the easiest thing to measure. And so I think it's the thing we think about the most. And, you know, if you can at all increase your odds of having a a team with a guy who spikes in the final weeks, it's going to massively increase your chances of getting a team through week 15 or through week 16. And even one additional team through those weeks can really, really help you. You know, I mean, if you, I I think that's, I talk about like the pain of how the NFL season is going to go, but when we're drafting these best ball teams in the summer and you, you have to like sit yourself down and be like, you're going to be fucking psyched to get one of these teams through to the final one. You're going to be psyched. That's 10 times your expected advance, right? Like you're, 150 teams, the way Best Ball Mania was done, you you would you're expected to get uh one team through like every 10 years. Point point one teams is what you're expected to get through based on their advance. So if you get one through, you're super psyched. You are super you are super psyched if you get more teams through than that. I mean, I get and I like I think part of the problem is like traditional fantasy football analysis, like 12 team home leagues, even, even high stakes stuff where like you, you got to win your league, right? Like you, you need to win in 15 weeks. You need to have a very good team and it needs to be, it needs to be structured well in, in the sense of like, it can't be just about getting through players like unique players to the final also because you might have unique players in the final, but you might not start them. Like, you know, maybe you got through, you know, uh, maybe in the main event, you got a unique uh, Zamir white team through or whatever, but are you, I don't know. What if, if you have a really good team, are you even going to start Zamir white's 13.8 point projection or whatever? Like, I don't know, probably not. So like they are, they're obviously advice for one can help with the other. And at the end of the day, a lot of what we are saying is just pick the right players, uh, picking the right players. Yeah. I mean, picking the right players is always the best thing to do, but it's, it's very, very hard. And it's sort of like baked into, we almost need like a long caveat of like, pick the right first, pick the right players, then layer on these little things are very important. But if you're not, if you don't have player selection dialed in, then, you know, you're going to be, and, 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 not just player selection, but but team construction, understanding pockets of value, even though obviously we're going to make mistakes on that like we did with, with Bateman and Burks being the last of the wide receiver tier, you know? So, but if you have all that stuff dialed in, that's more important. But then when we think about like, okay, now how are we going to increase our, our odds a little more? Yeah. I do think the week 17 stuff is is underrated, like very clearly underrated. Like there's, it's so hard to get teams through a one out of 16 advance and then a one out of 16 advance again, and then win a 441 person final. And a lot of the focus in best ball is still about how do I 
finished top two out of 12. I was like, yeah, that's, you definitely want to do that. But finishing first out of 16 consecutively and then winning a 441 person final is like, should, should be like the vast majority of our focus. Like there's no money until you finish. Like I finished 36 this year. I won 15 K, which is pretty sweet, but you know, it cost me like almost 4k to max enter the tournament. Yeah. So it's not like, that's, that's cool. But you know, if I, if I, if Sean Tucker was, uh, was Puka, <laughs> maybe, maybe I finished a little higher, you know? So, or Kyron. Sure. Well, I had Kyron. Oh, the but, yeah. Um, I mean, that's the only reason I, I finished any, anywhere good at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, like if you could do that little extra thing to get, like, it's those little tiny things of like, man, that extra few points from that one extra spike week from it, from a 17th round pick could be the difference between, you know, 15 K and 3 million like that. It's, it's not a small, like the results are not a small difference. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like one of the things that I screwed up this past summer was like taking too much Robert Woods, you know, like, cause I was like, I played it too safe in the final rounds on, in some of those early drafts. I feel good about the way I played the late rounds in the final drafts where I was like really attacking these uh, backup running backs, but I definitely was too conservative early on and taking veterans who were, I'm like, these guys will help me advance. I'm not totally punting off these picks. Um, but I should have taken more swings on rookie wide receivers. I think I should have taken more tank Dell, definitely more Puka. He was not, a big, not big having a huge position on tank Dell in the year of the short King feels like truly one of the all time misses by me. Yeah. It just feels so stupid. It's by the way, I, I've been wanting to make this point and this is a good Avenue for it. How fucking different is the best ball mania finals and fantasy football in general, who won your league or whatever. If tank Dell doesn't break his leg, tush pushing. And if CJ mm -hmm. Stroud doesn't get concussed because those were, those were league those winners, were capital L capital W. Right. I mean, yeah. Stroud was going to be the league winning quarterback. He was going to be the quarterback that crushed. I guess him and Purdy were going to crush ADP the most at quarterback. Dell was going to be a Puka level not not quite as extreme, but but super booster. Even Singletary was having these m massive yeah. games, yeah. Um, you know. Uh, and and Nico obviously was a huge winner as well. And he he just straight up missed week fifteen, just did not play in week fifteen. So those are like that's going to be a wrinkle that'll be totally forgotten when we're doing these shows five months from now. Um, and and that highlighted up the but last thing be. I want. It shouldn't be, but it will be. I mean, you know, just human brain can only <laughs> can only remember so much shit, you know. Uh, the last thing I wanted to bring up was a very hidden lesson in week 17 stuff that I've I've heard very few people bring up, which is that it's actually going to get you into spots like stacking Nico Collins with CJ Stroud, where you don't even particularly like those guys, but right. maybe you like DeAndre Hopkins and Derrick Henry. I liked Derrick Henry. I didn't like him. I think I ended up with 12% of him across everything, which is far and away the most I've ever had of him in his career. 
due to a totally faulty premise, which is that he was going to beat up on the shitty Texans in the fantasy football playoffs. He got like 50 yards combined against them. Still could have been on a winning team, though, because I took a lot of Nico Collins and CJ Stroud with Derrick Henry. And bring up whatever example you want, right? Maybe you really like the 49ers, so you drafted a bunch of Brian Robinson and Sam Howell or or whatever. You know, I, I guess weirdly Howell had a decent season and none of the pass catchers did, which is so funny. Um, but you could you could you could put that example in any direction that you wanted, which is just that it it kind of does a natural balancing of exposures for you, but also just puts you into good roster constructions that you maybe wouldn't get just drafting off who your favorite pick was every time you were on the clock. Yeah, I think one of the lessons for me is is more stacks. More stacks. Um whether that's, you know, week 17 correlation specifically, I think is good for sure. But also, you know, this is now my team was a three quarterback team and uh, the winning roster this year was a three quarterback team. So I, I'm, you know, not to say that, oh, that proves you you want three quarterbacks. But I do think there's, you know, something to the idea of like, obviously in the final, you know, it's interesting, right? A Lamar team didn't win. You know, Lamar goes off. Elite, it's, you know, he was actually the one affordable elite quarterback and it wasn't, uh, he wasn't on the running, winning roster this year, which I think is, is pretty interesting. And it definitely like has me thinking more about just like the power of having that additional stack. My, my team that made it this year only had two quarterbacks. Um, and it was a team with, with uh, Goff and Gino where I could have easily justified a third quarterback wish I had thought about maybe tacking on Jordan Love, you know, Jordan Love and Jaden Reed would have been a nice little extra stack that you could have backdoor stacked there. Um, you know, could have, could have, could have really helped getting that extra stack is obviously, you know, if those guys go off in week 17, it's really big, but like we also saw big, big Jared Goff chalk coming into the final week because he had had such a good week 15. Um, you know, they, they had another really strong week 16, and that kind of ended up being the the chalky game, but you didn't need Goff. You you needed CD, but you didn't need Goff in that game. Um, and so I think figuring out ways to build in additional stacks, which is the funny thing is one of the one of the takeaways seems to be like, oh, you know, we don't need to be thinking about week seventeen correlation so much because um, Faree's roster didn't really have that much week seventeen correlation. But he, I actually he think- just got sniped on Goff. Right, he got sniped on golf and then continued to build out correlation, which is the way you want to do it. You want to, okay, you sniped me, great. Now I have this mini correlation between Amon Ross St. Brown and CeeDee Lamb, and I'm going to keep, and any of Laporta, and I'm going to keep building out, right? So he's continued to build out the Detroit thing, and he continued to build out additional stacks, including Jordan Love with Jaden Reed, which gets him there. So I think that, if there's any pushback on the week 17 stuff, like hell yeah, let's, let's, let's continue to have that edge. That seems wild to me that there's still pushback on this, but then let's additionally push it further. Like we don't like, yes, you want your three quarterbacks stacked, but building in minis, you know, and building in not even week 17 correlation minis, but like little micro stacks where you're taking two guys from the same team, because if that team goes off in week 15, you know, and becomes chalk or it goes off in week 16, let's say, and becomes chalk in the final. If you've got additional stacks that are laying dormant, 
and you know that could be what goes off and wins it for you and like I had that on my team that made it this year I had a a Geno Smith double with with uh Tyler Lockett and and JSN but even heading into Sunday I was like I really wish this wasn't my only path you know and it wasn't it wasn't enough and that was somewhat predictable but it's like man, it would have been, it would have felt a lot better even ahead of time to also be like, oh, and I have Jordan Love going in the night game. That could be cool. Um, so I think just because of the way this chalk forms when when stacks go off in the single elimination weeks, having carrying along like an extra double stack or an extra, you know, wide receiver tight end without the quarterback could be huge. You know, if those guys end up being leverage pieces and you have this additional correlated way to, you know, to get a couple guys to hit your roster by making a single bet, I, I think is is probably underutilized. It's literally, it's literally um, your classic, like, what if this is what you need in week 16, but you need this in week 17, right? So it's like my, my golf Laporta stack got me through week 15. Then my Jordan Love, Jaden Reed stack got me through week 16. Then my Justin Fields, DJ Moore stack got me there in week 17. You know, it's yep. it's building in, it's layering in multiple outs. Um, I'm wondering, don't even have an opinion on this yet, if there will be a rethinking of the two five eight three or three five eight two strategy where you spend five picks on the onesies five running backs eight wide receivers and i'm wondering if we will see some three quarterback three tight end or just see three quarterback be the more dominant one i do think that is a narrative that is going to carry over people drafting three quarterbacks because i had this anthony richardson daniel jones team that had puka and kyron and you know and i had all the nuts but i had daniel jones and anthony richardson or or just whatever you know uh i i had the nuts but it had kirk cousins i i had the nuts but it had joe burrow you know i'd probably unlikely to be the nuts. yeah but i I don't think that's why to do it the reason to do it is being in the beautiful position of of wanting golf to fail when you when you when golf got you there like i couldn't really like I like I, when you have Goff and Gino as your only two quarterbacks, Goff failing is it's not ideal. It it's like it makes you pretty nervous, you know, because you're like now I now I need Gino Smith to blow up against the Steelers. Like what are the odds of that? If you have two outs at least, then you yes, obviously you're still a little nervous when one of your quarterbacks fails, but that quarterback being huge chalk and you've got two additional ways to bet against that chalk, it's actually kind of good for your team. So it's like, you needed Goff to get there. Cool. Now please chill out and let one of my other two bets come through. I don't I don't think it's to get Anthony Richardson teams through or whatever, or Joe Burrow teams. Like those teams are probably not going to have enough firepower to get through the the single week elimination gauntlet and then win in the final round. Um. It'll almost be frustrating if that makes three quarterback more popular. Cause I think it's potentially, and again, you don't have to like, you can still stack the lions without taking golf, you know? So, so you don't have to take the three quarterbacks, but, um, but I do think it's, it's, you know, it's interesting to three, see three tight end, three quarterback win when that's, that has been something where we've generally been like, ah, doesn't feels a little thin, but Getting a tight end score that's good to hit your lineup is huge, you know, and having additional additional stack outs 
to be able to bet against chalk basically is also pretty big. That's definitely, I mean, the tight end thing is if you, I mean, a lot of three tight end teams. If you took Sam Laporta, they were, they were probably good, which I guess just go, comes down to, um, just pick, just pick the right players. The The final thing is, is that I am really going to do my best to not be such a coward with exposures next year. I did a very good job full fading guys, like guys I didn't like. I just took none of Alexander Madison, Najee Harris. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows like the guys they don't want to take, but even guys I loved Devonte Adams, Tony Pollard, not, not particularly great names, but I did love them in the second round. Uh, I, I mean, even, even guys in the fourth or fifth round or the sixth round or seventh round, whatever, I, I never got that much of anyone. I think in the end on underdog, it's a little bit easier to get whoever you wanted on DraftKings because people on DraftKings drafting are worse. But on underdog, I think I was still, I think my most drafted guy was Michael Wilson at 26%. Just, just it's not enough. I don't think. Like, I don't. I would never play a slate, a one fifty max slate on DraftKings with max twenty six percent of any guy. I don't. I don't think I would do that. Yeah, I, and I've been. I was at thirty three percent on Brees Hall and Jalen Warren, my two highest guys. Um, I think that with exposures, maybe we want to get. Like, I do think there's. The potential to really hurt yourself by taking too much of guys that you're not like that much more confident about than the other guys in that range. You know, like if you prefer, um, you know, Chris Godwin to Mike Evans, but then you end up with a huge bag of Godwin and no Evans, you know, then it's like, why did I, why did I do that? I liked both guys, you know? And so yeah. I'm always struggling as someone who doesn't have a hard time, like, kind of loading up on the players I like, I'm always kind of struggling to be like, remember, you don't actually really like this guy that much more than the other guys. Don't just always take him. But I do think there's an advantage to being like, no, I really feel strongly that this player offers something in this range that is a, a few rounds underpriced and he's an early round pick or this guy is one of the few guys in the late rounds that can genuinely make a huge difference. Um, and if you like, so there's, there's like no amount of, of Kyron or Laporta that is enough, you know? So I think probably in the, in the later rounds, you know, maybe going in a little heavier, especially in like the period of the draft where, I feel like more confident. So for example, like at the end of the draft, I know Eric Bimefor just like he, cause he did a bunch of drafts late. He just had like 80% Chiron or something. I don't know if it was exactly 80, but it was some ridiculously high for in his final drafts. Like he was just like every time Chiron kind of thing. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Like if you're, if you get to a point in the draft season where it's like this, now I feel like really confident that this player opens up an opportunity he wasn't drafted all that much early on. I feel sure. pretty good about him. Why would I limit myself to, to 30, 40% of my, like, I'm just going to hammer this guy every time. Cause even if I'm wrong, it's like, doesn't hurt me that much. He's a late round pick. Right. So, yeah, I think like thinking through our exposures in terms of like the, the draft cost and, and like also like time, time capsuling our exposures a little bit, maybe. 
the the time capsuling thing is sort of interesting like that's i guess that is the sort of hangs over all of this which is that you are you know you are building teams not exposures and if there is a dramatic difference in cost from may to august that that definitely factors in like you'll lose any 2v2 you know like let's say uh joe mixon people think he's on the Bengals next year but then they right. cut him on july 5th and then chase brown ends up being a fourth round pick or whatever like a bunch of people just got chase brown in the ninth round and you're you're paying a huge increased premium there and that it's just gonna be i i always i go back and forth on those spots i mean i think on a site like drafters where it's cumulative scoring you definitely want to avoid that guy and just hope that he's not really the guy you need or that you can find like substitute goods but again, coming back down to the week 17 thing, it's like, well, I don't know. It would give you more unique combinations. Yeah, there are gonna be there are gonna be more Chase Brown teams uh that drafted him in the ninth round in the finals than ones that drafted him in the fourth round, meaning you might have a more unique permutation of guys. I, I don't know. Something something I'm thinking out loud as we're talking through it. Yeah, it is it's tough because like if Chase Brown goes for 30 points in week 16 you're not going to care what round you took him in um i think it probably matters a lot more in drafters where you're trying to have the the very best roster that was drafted that summer if you get that guy versus the ninth versus the fourth that matters a lot in best ball mania it probably matters a little bit i mean i think it almost definitely matters less um yeah i mean the, the chase brown one's interesting where you're like if you if there was a spot like that you know, to the time capsule idea, like hitting that really hard in May being like, I'm going to have like 60% exposure to this spot where I think this guy could rise not from an injury, but from actually like them moving on from the guy ahead of him or something. Um, and then if it doesn't happen, cooling, cooling out, you know, and if chase Brown, let's say it was a ninth round pick and you're like, ah, he's probably more of like a 13th round value is the clear number two, but yeah, I spent a ninth round pick on him. Like, okay, I can live with that. Um, you know, I, I think like finding spots like that, making aggressive bets, assessing that the bet probably didn't pay off in like July or August to be like, oh, no, they're not moving on from Mixon. That's a losing bet, but I didn't lose that much value. Now I'm going to gonna move on. Um, I think it's probably pretty good. And, and I think in general, like f- like figuring out pivot points throughout the drafting season is is important you know like there's now more information because it can it can all kind of just blend together you're drafting all summer but but realizing hey this is actually a pretty different drafting environment than two months ago what does it offer that two months ago didn't and how can i attack that that is i that's a i mean it's an interesting point it also got me thinking um kind of important to not be stubborn as guys you like get cheaper uh mm-hmm. Damian Harris, good example of that. Like if you spent all year you know, Damian Penny. Harris, Rashad Penny, yeah. yeah. Like if the if if the milk starts to turn sour on you, um, don't don't drink, don't drink the sour. I'm actually better at that than I am at chasing my guys up. I think you're pretty good at that. Yeah. I feel like you you're often like out on a guy and I'm like, no, no. And then later I'm like, oh, Davis will drink. Yeah, there there are like a couple guys I could think of from last year just being like, it's not happening for this dude. Like yeah. I just yeah, I'm just I'm like Penny actually is a good starting the year thinking I'm gonna fucking smash Rashad Penny in all these drafts and then being like, actually, you know what? DeAndre Swift is like clearly the best running back in this backfield. Like I'm out. I'm I'm over it. Yeah. Um 
that that's I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's just it's a complex, it's a multi layered game. I mean, next year, honestly, I actually think the most important thing next year is just going to be fucking being right about the rookies, just all the rookies that are coming. There's going to be like there's going to be like eleven skill position players that go in the first round of the NFL draft. Like, there's going to be a lot. That sounds fun. I, I like that. What What are your thoughts on where Marvin Harrison goes in Best Ball Mania? I actually think so. I think Marvin Harrison is actually might go ahead of Drake May. Just the way the way it breaks out. Whoa. The way if you just look at the way the draft works, I think that whatever team wants Caleb Williams is gonna move heaven and earth to get him from the Bears. And if I, I think I was looking at this earlier, maybe I was looking at it wrong, but the team with the second well, okay, the commanders would take Drake May, but if Arizona gets I don't know what all the tiebreakers are, but Arizona obviously would take him. I think New England might take him too, instead of Drake May. I really do. That would be like a huge mistake, wouldn't it? What's yeah, New I mean, England Drake doing? May, Drake May is fucking unbelievable. Well, <laughs> is mean, it, are we then, talking Marvin Harrison to Bailey from Bailey's app? What, what, but then, okay, so these are these are all the teams that uh, could theoretically get up to one of the two. So it would be Washington, New England, Arizona. Arizona won't do it. The Giants could. The Chargers wouldn't. I think the Titans are out on all this. I, I do not foresee the Titans being an organization that goes all in on a quarterback from the University of Southern Carolina. Like, that just does not strike me. This is Mike Vrabel's deal. Because they kind of had the opportunity to do it this last year for Anthony Richardson, and they didn't. Yeah, they won't. Yeah. Plus, they have Levis, and they, they, like they have Levis. Levis. Enough to, I mean, they sh- they probably should should always be looking out for a quarterback, but, but they can talk themselves into not. The the team obviously that I want to do it is the Atlanta Falcons. You know, that's the team. That's the team I I, I want them. I want them to hire. Well, I want them to hire Ben Johnson. As okay. Okay. Coach. All right. Yes. Okay. I mean, that's important to state. Yes. No. <laughs> God, can you imagine? We have to live in a world where the Falcons traded for the number one overall pick to get Caleb Williams, and it's Caleb Williams, Kyle Pitts, Bijan Robinson, Drake London, and Arthur Smith is still sitting there no, with his dumb fucking no. mustache, just running Tyler Algier behind the guard. Can you imagine running Tyler Algier in some sort of weird ass wildcat formation that has Desmond Ritter on the field instead of May? That's what we get. We, you know, he's playing some Ritter. He's playing. I mean, he can't give up on him. Obviously, it's. I just. I can't. Jeff May and Play Ritter. That's what we would get. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong, but when I was looking at this earlier, I kind of got the thought that it would be Harrison second. But now I'm thinking I'm wrong. I'm thinking Washington probably just takes whoever's left sitting there. They just take. They will, because it'll be a new coaching staff, and you know. (laughs) They'll they'll want to build around the quarterback. Well, I am I am praying for you, Drake May, because you honestly deserve better. You played better in college than having to play for the Washington football team. So, well, new ownership, new ownership, new ownership, new ownership, staff, new ownership and new stadium. Right? They're they're finally moving out of RFK soon. Oh, good. Okay. I want I want to say maybe even as soon as two years from now, they're are they're already building a new stadium. Yeah. So I mean, that's that could be good. I mean, honestly, like you know, restoring a franchise. Seems like pretty, pretty cool. You know, as long as you don't have to deal with Snyder and everything, uh, which you don't. So yeah, that could be a win. So I guess then we are looking at, well, <laughs> that would leave Marvin Harrison as the pick for the New England Patriots at third overall. God well, damn. 
I'll just go ahead and say on the record that <laughs> I don't like that. Now, if Marvin Harrison, <laughs> good to get that on the record. If Marvin Harrison goes to the Cardinals, to the Chargers, to the Titans, even with Chargers. Levis, we need Chargers. We need Chargers. That would be yeah. fun. That would be. I mean, he would be maybe like the 18th pick or something like that. Honestly, I think you can you can go a little higher. The, the the more interesting one for fantasy is where does Brock Bowers go, assuming that he goes someplace with a competent quarterback and a competent coach. After We're all we so just burned from Pitts. No, no. Laporta just finishes the tight end one overall as a rookie. That's true. You were you took the exact wrong no. It's gonna be it's gonna be rookie Dalton Kincaid, Laporta. Yeah, Michael you're right. May, you're right. Uh, not I'm Michael Mayer, so Tucker Craft. They all did good as rookies. So does Pitts just like really, really stink? I think he's hurt, clearly. Maybe a little bit overrated. And then well, literally so, uh, definitely somewhat overrated. He was, somewhat he was billed overrated. as like a generational prospect. Yeah. But also of all 32 teams in the NFL, I would say he went to the 32nd team <laughs> in the ability to use his talents yeah. in a creative and functional way because clearly what I think in his mind, Arthur Smith thought Kyle Pitts would be like Dennis Pitta. Like he'd run pretty good routes. He'd block some, but it just never... It's like, that's not who he is. I would say a really good comp for what Kyle Pitts is, is kind of like de- like a slower Demarius Thomas, maybe. Like, yeah. Like, you really that's should right. use him kind of in the boundary and like right up the hashes and like let him play kind of in between the safeties. And also they never had a quarterback who could make that throw. Like, you know the throw I'm talking about. Like 18 yards, middle of the field, over the linebacker's hands, but beneath the safety. Mm-hmm. And there's not been one quarterback in Atlanta in Kyle Pitts' career who can even make that throw. That's true. I mean, he's, he's Jared Cook, right? Um, Yeah, Jared Jared Cook, Eric Ebron, Ladarius Green. Um, Yeah, I mean, he's just, the, he, was, he was a very highly drafted version of Rico Gathers, more or less. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, we're got, so where are you imagining Bowers like landing and then you're thinking he's like a I think he's a like back what? end I think he's a back end of the first round pick so you're kind of looking in that range between Tampa Bay and Buffalo as the standing like pick 20 through 25 seems where Kincaid went last year basically it would be pretty funny if they immediately he got, took another tight end in Buffalo <laughs> I think sadly I might have to join Liam on that one though. Like, like if like the Kincaid thing, I never really got there. I did a little bit. I liked him, but I took some Kincaid. I just thought he was definitely overpriced. The Bowers thing. I I probably would just be like, yeah, sure. Whatever I'm taking. Well, cause Gabe Davis would be gone too, which is, I mean, that's low key. One of the more fascinating things is who's the second wide receiver for the bills next year, because it's not going to be Gabe Davis. He wants to get paid, and I think rightfully the Bills will not want to pay him very much money. So whoever is that guy, pretty interesting for fantasy. So how early, like, what what round do you think you'll take uh, Gabe Davis on the Chiefs? <laughs> where, where did I take Kadarius Tony? <laughs> Seventh round? 
seventh round. Wide receiver <laughs> 41. It sounds good. It's too perfect, right? You want to know what's so <laughs> sickening is that I was one of the few people to say, I don't give a shit if Rashi Rice wasn't a good prospect. Eventually, the Chiefs are going to hit on one of these guys. Ended up with a bunch of Rashi Rice, but it ended up not mattering because the Chiefs just suck so goddamn bad. And <laughs> and the Bengals suck. So that was the other yeah. thing. Is not only yeah. the Chiefs suck, the Bengals suck too. So any Week 17 <laughs> permutation you built him in, he, he sucked. Yeah, you needed to just like go in and grab him as like a as just a a solo bet basically. As, my as a my uh my only team that made a final had two Chiefs, Clyde Edwards Hilaire and Rashi Rice. They were the only they were the only Chiefs uh that I that I had. So that almost know. really worked. I mean, if Pacheco, if, if Pacheco, if uh, well, actually, funnily, yeah, yeah I mean, Pacheco playing in Week Seventeen, yeah, fucked the fucked the whole thing up, but. I mean, the Chiefs are that. I mean, we're really getting into the weeds now, but the Chiefs are also going to take another wide receiver, like probably in the second round, maybe even the first round. Actually, pro- I would say they more should. likely than not, probably the first round. You know, one of these University of Texas wide receivers, uh, you know, uh, the the second LSU guy. Like there, there's a there are going to be a lot of back end of the first round wide receivers there, and I mean, I think it would, I I would. I can't imagine Brett Feach having a job the morning after the draft if he's just like, you know what, we really need a fucking nose tackle or whatever. <laughs> like, just there, there, there's maybe never been more of a pressing need on a team in the history of professional football than the Chiefs needing a wide receiver. It's true because I'm not sure Rice is like that good. Like, he's definitely good. I but think I he don't... seems very good by comparison because he's just not yes. dropping everything that's thrown. I think he's fine. Like, I think he's, he's fine. good. But he's not like I mean this dude is not, you know he's not a a chase level difference maker or whatever on the team. No, no. I mean he does. I mean he's his ADOT is so shallow. Like he's he's I think providing something. He can get open and he can draw targets, but like there's they're pretty shallow targets. So are you going to build an offense around that? You kind of need someone else. And then as a secondary guy, I think he could be like really good. I mean, they might need they might need to take like four wide receivers. I can't ever watch Marquez Valdez Scantling play again. Ever. <laughs> he's it, he's so bad. I and he's bad to begin with, and now I think he has the yips. You know, like yeah, now I yeah, think yeah. it's just like he's like actively like, I can't do this. Like after the 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 second drop. Last week and week sixteen or week seventeen, he just walked off to the sideline and was just like, "Like I can't, I don't even, I can't even play." Like you just put Justin Ross in there if you have to. Like I got, I got nothing. Canary's Tony still under contract too, by the way. Yeah, I really missed my opportunity to trade you Tony in that league that you. Pretty won. sure I offered you a first. I think you might have. <laughs> big big miss might be if I didn't take that. <laughs> Actually, no, I didn't offer you a first. I offered you Jamison Williams for him. Well, still a big miss. Still by a me. huge, huge, <laughs> big whiff. Uh, all right, let's get out of here, man. Tell the people what they can get for playoff best ball and uh, in the off season on Legendary Upside. Yeah, Legendary Upside. If you're doing any playoff best ball contents, uh, we have you covered. Uh, we've got premium 
podcast where we're diving in just uh just released one of those uh took a look at kind of the, how the bracket is shaping up and kind of which teams make sense to pair with each other as well as looking at like some specific kind of team builds that we like um and then we have this tool over at uh legendary upside uh that is it's dynamic rankings tool so it actually shuffles the legendary upside rankings as you put in your picks um, you manually enter your, enter the picks uh that you make in like the gauntlet or whatever and it'll shuffle the rankings to reflect the the bracket that you're constructing right you're in playoff best ball you're making uh implicitly you're making bets on which teams are going to go to the conference championship game and to the super bowl uh and this tool kind of helps keep track of that in a really nice way so that when you're building out uh your teams you're you're seeing players that are you know you don't have to take the very top guy I suggest but it's it's kind of limiting the player pool to players that make sense based on what you've already done and kind of help you stay on the rails as you build out these gauntlet teams mitten teams what have you. I think it's it's been really fun to draft with personally and gotten a ton of great feedback on it. Uh, it's only 10 bucks a month to sign up right now. So uh, I think you, you're going to get way more than $10 worth of value out of out of using the tool. I mean, I probably should have used the tool when I drafted uh, 110 teams yesterday. Five tabling playoff drafts is very hard because you, it is. you, you basically are just like, I just got to take the guys on the teams that i've already drafted right you'll um, build like two like literally only two teams on your whole build when you when you multi-table like, like i that. was trying to do uh i was trying to thread the needle with a ravens 49ers team and and then i just realized like what, what do i even do here how do i even fill out a complete i, I think i just then took five consecutive browns because of yeah the brown the browns is the answer yeah, That's Browns and Rams. I, I'm big on Rams, I'm big yeah. on the Rams. I think the Rams can win their week one matchup, but they are the Rams are gonna be the uh the super booster advance rates because they have three guys who score fantasy points and they're gonna score a bunch of them, but not make the Super Bowl. So that's like an interesting little ring. The problem with the Rams is that they they don't pair that well with the with the 49ers because if they yeah. win, they're very likely they need the seven seed to win. Otherwise, they go play the 49ers, and then most likely, um or or kind of one way or another, you're going to lose a bunch of your roster when the Rams and the 49ers eliminate each other. Uh, so, you know, if you, that could be three Rams that that you don't have or four Rams even um, in round three. And it's a one of eight advance in the third round. So you want to be generally, there's a few, there's some exceptions. And I think if you also have a bunch of Ravens, that's maybe one of the exceptions. But generally you want to be uh, constructing rosters that, you have a chance at least to have your full roster alive in the conference championship round when it's oh, one yeah. of eight advance. I definitely am not doing that drafting five teams at once. Like no. I guarantee, yeah, you I can. guarantee you there's someone out there who was like in a draft with me and they were like, Oh cool. I'm going to draft with Davis. And like, he just drafted some dog shit that like has <laughs> like one extremely narrow path to getting a complete roster to the super bowl. And it's like awful. And I'm like, I don't know, dude, I just, got 40% Justin Watson. Like it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, generally if you, you know, I didn't get in uh, very many mitten twos. Um, so, so drafting some suboptimal teams as you race to get in uh, enough, you know, to actually before it fills draft teams, I, I'm jealous of that. 
but generally uh if the tournament's not about to close drafting here's, one here's at a time thing. is the way to go <laughs> here's the thing the ev of 150 suboptimal teams is greater than 75 optimal teams it's just it's also greater than like uh yeah than zero the zero mittens that i drafted uh yesterday so however many you got in slightly suboptimal are, are still better yeah and I mean, look, it's also, it's a free roll for me because the people are so done with the Kansas City Chiefs. Like they they could not be, Dude, they could not be any less into the Chiefs. This is so your I'm week. Like, They're as, so cheap. As a as a, a homer that just wants to honestly uh, make my playoff viewing experience better via these playoff best ball drafts, I've got like, I've got like thousands of dollars now in incentive to just root for the Chiefs to win these games because they, I've never been able to take the Chiefs without a bye week, which sounds bad as a fan but it's actually great for these contests because now i'm gonna if they do make the super bowl they just got four weeks of points which is beautiful you can do you can do stuff where like you can push like with mccaffrey you can push your chiefs like you can take rice who's like the only guy that anyone actually has any excitement for on the chiefs um and pair him with like cmc and kittle and there's like a chance that you can get mahomes you know in the in the in the fourth round um yeah they're they're falling right now or you can grab Mahomes and just be like I'll see if maybe I can get like Pacheco or Kelsey to come all the way back which is not which you do which you get all the time yeah yeah people are taking James Cook over Pacheco and James Cook might have zero playoff games you know (laughs) right it's there's still a chance they don't make it still like they just lose to the Dolphins that want to win it's over no, I think they some other stuff needs to happen too. The, the Ravens are benching all their starters. The Steelers have to lose, but the, the Steelers are oh, going okay. full effort against the Ravens. Like like uh, Lamar's not playing. The defense, the none of the defensive guys are playing. Man, it would be so funny if the Bills didn't make it. I actually have a bunch of Bills now, so that would hurt me, but it'd still be funny. It would be. It would be funny. All right, guys, we're getting out of here. Legendaryupside.com. I will be back next week. See you guys later.